Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God and it contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you're back this week. Glad you're ready to study the Bible with us as we try to find a few answers to your questions about the Bible. That's what we do on this program is take viewers' questions a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. Use those anytime to get in touch with us. And whatever's on your mind, or maybe something will come to your mind during this program, and one of our answers, you, you may say, well, I wonder what about this. Well, give us a call or log on and uh, give us a question. We'll put it on the list. We'll get to it just as quickly as we can. And our goal is to help you know your Bible a little bit better. Let me introduce Toby Levering. Hi, Toby. You're welcome back. Good morning, Steve. Well, Toby's here and ready to go, and we're both studied up on a few of your questions, but we always give you one first, so let's do that. Uh, how old was Jesus when he started his ministry? So you see if you know the answer to that, and we'll give you the answer at the end of the program and find out how old Jesus was when he started preaching. All right, Toby, I think you drew the first one, so let's not waste any time I here. Love honest questions, <laughs> and this one's a very honest question. A viewer asks, I know you are to love your neighbor, but I am having a hard time with that. <laughs> and I can certainly identify, and I think most of us who, if we're honest, can identify with struggling to love our fellow uh, neighbor at some point or another. Some of us struggle with that throughout our lives with our personality and temperament, but uh, it's normal part of uh, human interaction to have difficulties and troubles from time to time. And uh, loving God, if you think about it, is pretty easy to do when you when you sit down, even read the Bible and think about all He's done for us, every spiritual blessing that He's given us in Christ, the forgiveness of sins, the, uh, all of the gifts and the blessings and, and all of the things that abound to us when you simply stop to consider His goodness and His love and His mercy and His wisdom. It's not hard to love God at all. However, uh, the second commandment, the second greatest commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, uh, that's where it gets tough. Uh, that's when you have to love people who are messed up and imperfect and who have um, parts of their past that make them who they are today. And sometimes that makes them hard to love. That can make people cantankerous and bitter and and uh, sometimes it's just difficult to do. And not just necessarily could be people that you live besides. It could be people that you work with. It could be people in your own family. Some fellow driving down the road. Sometimes people just uh, push our buttons, shall we say. And how do we push through that? Um, I would say that the only way that I know to love your neighbor is to keep working at it and to keep persevering. Uh, to remember the attributes of love from 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. It is not self-seeking. Uh, when you begin to reflect upon how God has loved you, it makes it a little bit easier to show that love to other people. When you consider how richly He's blessed you, uh, how much He's poured out His patience, how kind He's been toward you, 
uh, how uh, sacrificial his love has been toward you, it ought to encourage you and inspire you to show that love toward other people. Uh, hopefully we can pour out into others what's been poured into us. Uh, the Apostle John, called the Apostle of Love, wrote these words in 1 John chapter 4, starting in verse 19. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has, not, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from Him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Uh, just because it's hard doesn't mean that it, it isn't possible. And certainly God wouldn't require of us something which we couldn't do. Now, that doesn't mean we'll do it perfectly and we've got to learn as we go along. But I think the best way to do it is simply to consider, how, one, how God has loved you and those attributes of godly love in 1 Corinthians 13, and two, to Keep at it. Don't give up. God didn't give up on you, so don't give up on your brother. I hope that helps. All righty. Thank you, Toby. Uh, got a question. I don't think we've ever had this one before, but about masonry. If you were wants to know, can a Christian be a Freemason or a Mason also? Well, uh, let me just give you a few points and you can kind of put them together and form your own answer on this one. Uh, number one, I don't know much about Freemasonry. I know kind of what it is and have known a few people that are Masons and I uh, really haven't ever studied it and tried to figure it out much. Uh, and second point is it's a secretive organization. It doesn't broadcast everything about what it does and believes and all that. Members are uh, sworn to secrecy to some degree, I believe. Uh, so it's hard to know exactly what all masonry consists of or teaches. Uh, if you look at their websites and their uh, information places, uh, it says it's a fraternal organization, a social kind of organization, and they don't discuss uh, religion or politics at their meetings. So uh, saying that, there's nothing religious about it. But like I say, it's kind of secretive, so you don't really know. Uh, I do believe it is not exclusively Christian. I'm confident of that. It's, uh, they believe in a grand architect is, I think, one of their terms for it, a supreme being. And uh, however you see that supreme being is kind of okay. Uh, so it's certainly not an exclusively Christian organization. Uh, last two things I'll say, there, I think there's many people that are Masons, uh, perhaps good Christian folks, uh, that are Masons that don't really understand all of what Masonry actually teaches. Uh, they're in it for the social organization, the fraternal part of it, the business contacts and all of that, and don't really pay attention much to what the deep teachings are. And that's true with every organization. Um, that's true in the church. There's a lot of folks that are uh, faithful Christians and do a lot of good work and all that, but they don't know exactly what all the doctrines of their church are. So I think there's many people like that, but there are also quite a few uh, who have been Masons, Christians who have been Masons and claim to have figured out what Masonry really teaches and gotten out of it and now spend quite a bit of time teaching against Masonry. 
so you can go on the internet and find sites where people uh, say here's what they really teach and here's why that's anti-Christian and here's why Christians should never be a Mason and all that. If you want to read some of that, uh, there's a website, e, uh, E-M... FJ, ex-Masons for Jesus. I have to think through that. But emfj.org, you can look that up. Uh, that's folks that have been Masons and have decided that it is not good for a Christian to be part of it. So you can research it yourself on that. Uh, in general, it's not a Christian organization and probably takes up quite a bit of time that could be devoted to something a little better if you were a Christian, but uh, I'll let you do the research on that and talk to folks that are Masons and figure out what you believe about it. All right. The next viewer wants to know, when did the different races start? Well, the, the simple biblical answer to that is, of course, Genesis chapter 2 at the creation of Adam and Eve. And now, of course, I understand the question is a little bit deeper than that. If you only had one couple, how did you get all of the different uh, ethnicities and races and all of that? And uh, it's, it's not difficult if you understand just a little bit about basic genetics, uh, a little bit of uh, basic biology and how, how things work uh, on that level. Uh, I have up on the screen, I believe, uh, a Punnett square. Now, the one on the left is probably one that you have seen and uh, maybe you're learning about genetics in 6th, 7th grade or somewhere around there and how if you cross-pollinate a couple of different brands that you can get many different uh, results from that. And uh, then on the right side, uh, someone kind of took that and said, well, if you had these different genes, possible combinations of uh, skin color might come out and if you took the two different um, I believe they're called heterozygous which is a word beyond my level but uh, if you if they had this uh, ultimate combination uh, between two people that in within just one generation of their children reproducing with each other and moving through the generations, you would have a pretty equal distribution of the different ethnicities you see today. Well, that's one person's speculation, and of course the Bible doesn't speak into all that, but uh, if we believe as the Bible speaks that God created everyone and that all people have a common ancestry uh, traced back to Adam and Eve themselves, uh, he must have worked it out some way. Uh, <clears throat> could something similar happen with, uh, as described with the racial characteristics? I, I think it's possible. Uh, but however it happened, God certainly worked it out. And the main point here is, of course, that, uh, that the differences of skin color are, are really negligible. When you look down at the DNA, we're all very much the same. And a lot of human beings divide over very superficial things, unfortunately. Uh, of course, we know in the biblical account in Genesis chapter 11, uh, the flood, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 6, uh, the flood drastically changed the makeup of the world. And uh, in Genesis chapter 11, the human race was divided out by language. And so they spread out over all the earth. Uh, and uh, uh, so certainly there are going to be differences from there. So best explanation is just uh, it all started with Adam and Eve and we spread out after the flood and we're further divided by the the languages uh, that were, we were separated into to give us our uh, tribes and nations and so forth so that we would truly go forth and multiply. 
so that's uh, when they started and how it worked exactly. We really don't know. The Bible doesn't say. All righty. We'll uh, make that a trivia question someday. We'll put, <laughs> the that, put, put the square up there and see if you can explain the genetics to us. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> Probably better not. It's interesting. The Bible doesn't even talk about races. Yep. It never says that uh, yep. in that connotation or that word. Anything. It does talk about tribes and nations and sure. all of that. But it's there's just one race, and yep. that's mankind. The human race. Yep. <laughs> Uh, let me take just a moment and talk about a good way to study the Bible. We've answered a few questions and we'll answer a few more today, but there's a whole lot more in the Bible and uh, a lot more serious things in the Bible than some of the things we get asked about here. So we do advocate home Bible study and we know that's a little hard to get started sometimes. So we've got some free materials that we'll be happy to send you and help you get started in Bible study. Uh, the Know Your Bible study materials come in the form of different courses. And here's the first one. We always show you that on the screen. It's the eight lessons. It's just a real basic Bible course. Helps you understand what the Bible is and who wrote it and when and uh, a lot of the basics of it. So you get through that and then we've got some more advanced courses that you can go on to and keep studying the Bible. Uh, all of it is straight Bible study. We just want you to know your Bible, not trying to teach you any specific creed or denominational teaching or anything else. It's just kind of an open Bible study and a good way to learn your Bible. So all you have to do is call that phone number or log on to that website, say you'd like that free course. Uh, we'll put the first lesson in the mail to you, and uh, when you get it, you can try it out and see if you like it. If not, there's no obligation. We won't bother you in any way, and uh, we'll just leave you alone if you don't want to continue. But if you enjoy it and work through it, you'll learn a lot about your Bible. So take us up on that free offer. All right, question about uh, different religions here again. Not different races, but different religions. Uh, Christians believe in Jehovah, and Muslims believe in Allah. How can there be more than one God? Well good question and with an obvious answer. Uh, if you're a Bible believer, uh, there can't be more than one God. Uh, certainly men have devised lots of gods in this world and uh, lots of ungods is what I call them, but there's only one God. Uh, let's read 2 Samuel 7 verse 22, which pretty well summarizes it. And this is repeated lots of places in our Bible. Uh, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you and there is no God beside you. That's the fundamental teaching uh, of the Bible, both Old and New Testament. There is one true God, God Almighty, uh, by whatever name he reveals himself. Uh, this person used the term Jehovah, which is usually the one we use, but there's one God. Now, I know a lot of people say that, well, Muslims call God by a different name. Same God, they just call him Allah, and we call the same God Jehovah. <clears throat> the trouble with that is uh, that the picture of God that we find in Muhammad's teaching and writings is very different from the God of the Bible. Uh, the Bible Jehovah reveals himself is what the Bible is. It is a self-revelation. 
Jehovah revealed himself to men and inspired them to write about him. It's the story of God revealing himself. Uh, the writings of Muhammad uh, the, that other people wrote down from his teachings are a man describing a God, a man revealing what he believed about a supreme being. He called him Allah, which was a, a name of a moon god in that time, as I understand. Uh, but what he tells us about that God is very different from what the Bible, the God we read about in the Bible. Very, very different, and you can see today there are very, very different results uh, from the followers of Allah and the followers of Jehovah in most cases. So uh, they're not the same God. They're different. One is a description by man of what he thinks God is like, and the Bible is a self-revelation of the one true God, Jehovah. So to answer the viewer's questions, there can't be more than one God. And to further amplify on it, the God Allah is not the one true God. Uh, All right. Uh, the viewer asks, uh, what time is dinner and supper in the Bible? It's kind of, a, it seems like an odd question. Uh, I think I know what they're asking about, but um, I've got to kind of take a guess here. Um, the Probably what they're referring to is the Lord's Supper and how it originated from the Passover feast. At least that's the answer I'm going to give. Um, the Bible really doesn't say. It tells us that in Exodus chapter 12, verse 8, uh, that the Israelites partook of that feast, that they were to kill the lambs at twilight, that they were to eat, the partake of the Passover feast that night, to let nothing remain until morning, so sometime at nighttime. But we're really not told, uh, and we can kind of guess based on different factors, but the truth is the Bible doesn't say. And so that's, uh, now the, are they asking, was there a precise hour or time commanded? No. Uh, in the account of Jesus and his disciples partaking of the Passover feast, uh, we're told that it was the evening time. Uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 19 through 20. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them and prepared the Passover. When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. So <clears throat> uh, our, our reading from Exodus chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 26 and other places looks to be that the disciples would have partaken of it in the evening time, but does that... Uh, is that a direct command from, by the Bible, and do we have any indication that the early church did as such? No. Uh, and so uh, the Bible just simply doesn't say uh, as far as when they might have partaken of that. All right. Well, I can't help you any on that one. <laughs> I don't know what that viewer was particularly asking. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't even know when, whether it's lunch and dinner or dinner and supper. And yeah, I don't, exactly. Yeah. I don't even know what to call things. So. Only the deep, <laughs> important issues do we handle on this program. <laughs> uh, lunch is at noon and dinner's at five. That's, that's the right answer. Yeah, we can't uh, even straighten it out in today's world, let yeah. alone the biblical. Okay, well, if, if that wasn't what you wanted to know, uh, give us another call or log on and... We'll try again. <laughs> All right, I can do better on this one. A viewer wants to know, what is your denomination and who authors your material? Well, that's a good question. We don't uh, publicize that a whole lot. We don't make a big deal out of it. 
Uh, we just say we're here to help you learn your Bible and that's what our philosophy is. If you learn your Bible and find out what God wants you to do, then you'll be all right. Uh, we don't teach a particular denominational doctrine. In fact, the folks that produce this program and support it and keep it on, on the air, the Churches of Christ, uh, we'll talk about some of those in just a moment, but uh, we don't consider ourselves to be a denomination. A denomination means to name yourself, to set yourself apart uh, from other denominations. So there's different kinds of Christians that have labeled themselves. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as just Christians, Christians only. Uh, we do have a name in front of our buildings usually that says Church of Christ, uh, but just because we believe we're Christ's church. We belong to Him. He said, I will build my church. Uh, so it's a good biblical name and kind of identifies who we are. Uh, we could have some other title out there in the Bible that Christians were called the way sometimes, uh, the followers of Christ. Uh, they were called Christians first in the city of Antioch, Christ followers. So anyway, we could identify ourselves Christians only is what we're after. Uh, we don't have a headquarters, which is one thing that the denomination has. There's a headquarters somewhere that tells folks, uh, here's a doctrine, here's what we believe. Uh, all churches of Christ are autonomous. They, we don't report to any headquarters. We don't report to each other. Uh, we fellowship and know each other because we've got very common beliefs. Uh, but each congregation, each group of Christians in a city or a location uh, runs their own business. Uh, Christ is the head of the church. We try to follow what the Bible says and make decisions based on our study of the Bible. So when you ask what denomination we are, quick, easy answer, Churches of Christ produce this program. Uh, but because of the way we think about names and denomination and all that, uh, we don't believe we are a denomination. We're just a group of Christians that try to follow the Bible. Now, the viewer also asks who authors our material. Uh, the different courses are authored by different men. Uh, all of them are Christians, uh, members of the Churches of Christ, but uh, it, it doesn't come from a headquarters. It's, uh, Toby could sit down and write a Bible correspondence course if he wanted to. I could write one uh, and use it on this program or help people study the Bible with it. Uh, we don't have a headquarters that says, all right, here's your teaching, here's what everybody has to believe. So hopefully that helps you understand who we are a little bit. Uh, let me go from that directly into talking about some churches of Christ that support us and keep us on the air. Uh, we like to mention some each week, and today just so happens it's time to talk about the home church of Know Your Bible, uh, the Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas. That's where Toby and I both work and worship, and uh, I'll be happy to visit with you and meet with you if you drop in sometime. Uh, always happy to meet some viewers and know that there's people out there watching, so come see us sometime. Uh, but any congregation uh, in your viewing area that's a Church of Christ, they'd warmly welcome you. You'd find folks that studied and thought about the Bible a lot like we do on this program, so drop in and visit them. When you do, tell them you heard about them on Know Your Bible. All right, Toby.
gamble, right. gamble a little bit here. Okay, take a, I'll take a risk. Uh, is it okay to play lotto or buying a scratch ticket? Well, if you are asking for a Bible verse which specifically condemns that, I won't be able to point you to one. This is one of those questions where we have to use a little bit of discernment and wisdom and thinking as we, uh, as Christians, live in our world today. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, he wasn't talking about playing the lotto necessarily, but he, he made this statement that, that uh, some things are beneficial. The ESV said some things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. <clears throat> the lotto scratch tickets in most places are places, are, it's, it's lawful, it's allowable, it's legal, um, it's run by the, the state. But we have to ask ourselves, is it helpful? Is it beneficial? Does it build anything up? We might say, does any good come from it? And I think, in my opinion, uh, it, it more bad and more harm comes from it than any good that might possibly come. Uh, I'll list a couple of those. Uh, the biggest to me is it, it takes advantage of the poor and the uneducated. Uh, you look at where lottery tickets is, are sold and scratch tickets are sold, and they are primarily bought and purchased in very low-income locations within your city and state. Uh, people who believe that that's their only hope uh, buy into those regularly. And, uh, of course, their odds are, I mean, if you, if you do look at any basic math, there is zero is a high chance of winning. <laughs> And, uh, well, you say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not poor, I'm not uneducated, and I can play that, it's not a problem. Well, the problem is you're feeding a system that preys on the poor and the uneducated. And the Bible, of course, speaks very much against that. God speaks that His people and the Old Covenant and the New should be watchful over the poor and protective over those who are the weakest among us. So I don't think it's a good part of to be of a system that imposes a regressive tax on people who... Uh, don't know any better. And so that's not a good thing to be a part of. Uh, secondly, it takes advantage of the naive. I have a young daughter and I could easily probably coax her into saying, uh, Grace, you know, you only have one dollar there. I have three quarters. Wouldn't it be a good trade for me to trade you your one measly dollar for three whole quarters? And she's like, yeah, that's a really good trade. But see, I'm taking advantage of her naivety there, and that's not good either. Um, <clears throat> it's poor financial stewardship. Uh, you're almost always guaranteed to lose. If you look at uh, places where gambling, and I mean, that's why states run it, because it brings in a lot of income. Uh, they bring in a lot of income from people who lose. Uh, you're trying to get something for nothing. You're feeding an addictive behavior. You're seeking to win from another's loss. So not a good thing. I don't think it's a beneficial or helpful thing. And I think the main problem is it feeds greed, which is, of course, something Jesus warned against. So let's look in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I think you'll do well to avoid the lotto and the scratch tickets. Uh, you can make wiser investments uh, with the money God's given you to manage. Yeah, but you might win it big. Somebody's <laughs> got to win. That's, that's the final <laughs> argument is it might happen. <laughs> really bad odds. But yep, uh, yep. <laughs> no, all those reasons are very good. And <clears throat> hopefully people heed that. Uh, we're out of time today for new questions, but we do want to answer our trivia question. Uh, how old was Jesus when he started his ministry? And the Bible says he was about 30. 
You can read that in Luke chapter 3 and verse 23. So somewhere around 30 years of age after uh, evidently carpentering for the first part of his life, uh, the Holy Spirit told him it was time to start the official ministry, so he did. We're glad you've been with us today and hope you come back next week for more of your questions. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.